We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Shaka collapses under the weight of Clive's praise and expectations. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. It was a Shaka disaster class, weighed down by the heavy expectations of a future captaincy as placed upon him by Clive. Once Clive turns his eye towards you, much like Sauron, your life uh, is left in the wreckage, and now we have nothing but a shattered granite Shaka to pick up and hopefully uh, rebuild so that he can somehow contribute to the rest of our season. We will discuss that and more from the 1-1 draw against Wolves <clears throat> with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! It was a Jack calamity. Shackalamity. I like it. It was a grandastic disaster. Grandaster. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And I tell you who won't be captain, and that's Colosinic. Oh, I'm going to say for now. <laughs> you know who won't also is Granite Shaka, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, <clears throat> let's talk. Uh, let's talk about this game. But before we do, uh, Scott will be here with a statistical analysis of the match uh, later on. You'll also be hearing about our friends at enclosedlingerie.com, so you don't want to miss that. That will certainly be the most exciting part of the podcast, literally and figuratively. But for now, let's start, unfortunately, with another draw, a draw that I don't think anybody's going to be rewatching. although I imagine Paul did somehow or another. <laughs> Paul, on second watching, did it get any better? Uh, I mean, a bit. All right. But, yeah, yeah. I, I don't care. Um, yeah. The lineup, I have to admit, so, look, I thought we were going to smash Wolves, and it's it's not like me to be a Pollyanna. Like, I, I'm not just dismissing them because they're Wolves. I realize where they are on the table, but they were coming off three consecutive losses, and it wasn't like they were losing to uh, Pep's Barcelona either. I mean, they had lost to, who was it? Let's see. 
Let's make sure I get this completely right. They had lost to Tottenham in a game where, to be fair, Tottenham weren't very good, but it was at home. They lost uh, away to Brighton. They lost at home to Watford, 2-0. So, you know, not coming off the best form. They do like to go with that three at the back. I thought we'd be able to pick that apart based on how we performed against three at the back in the past. And I have to admit, I kind of like the lineup. I guess the only real decision it seems like Emery has to make at the moment is what to do with that right forward position. And he went with a Wobi in a you know, in his less favored spot instead of Mkhitaryan. Overall, how did you feel, you know, at the start of the match? Moi? Yeah, you. Toi. Moi. Toi. Okay. Uh, I thought the lineup was pretty good, probably as good as it was going to get. I, I do tend to favor seeing Mkhitaryan, though he has been out of sorts over on that right wing just because I haven't seen us get a lot going on the wings. And he he formed the best partnership with Bellerin. And I still suspect Uwobi's better from the left. I, uh, I guess we'll get into that. But, he, he, you know, he, needs, he still needs to come to terms with uh, our best front three. And maybe Liverpool was a bit of a false read for these kinds of games because uh, they came out and played. And when we still need to crack the safe then we need to be a very efficient up front and we don't have a lot of width besides getting Bellerin forward. It seems to be our one trick in terms of width for people who stay compact. So I think overall I like the, the lineup, but my one concern was uh, where do we get some trickery and get somebody in behind in the front three? It's a big miss. It, it is a big, big miss. And I, I think the problem you have right now is you've got a very low-touch player in Aubameyang playing in a position that he looked... I think even more lost in in this game than he has in recent games. I mean, I don't think he's ever been fantastic there, but he looked really particularly lost. It didn't help Kolasinac at all, who was a mess himself. I think that whole left side was a real problem. And as a result, ball progression was just sort of stale and slow. I mean, Clive, I, I hate to go with things like lack of intensity, lack of drive, but comparing it to the Liverpool game, and I realize Liverpool came to play a little more maybe not as much as expected, but a little more than Wolves did. But there is something wrong with the way we're progressing the ball through midfield right now. And to me, it's so ponderous, and it it really creates very little difficulty for the opposition to just keep us passing it back and forth between the back line and the midfield and the back line and the midfield. For you, where do you think the ball progression is short-circuiting right now? You touched on it there a little bit. And um, I think what we've really enjoyed this season has been the increased intensity, the increased kilometres, and people being more direct and, and, and playing what they see, right? So I don't think, you know, we, sometimes we react very well when other people have got the ball so we can pass through them. We create some depth in our teams. We can go to full length of the pitch. And it's very pleasing on the eye. And then you get a situation like at the weekend where um, walls are quite tight, quite compact, and try to send us down certain channels. And I think, you know, a game I didn't see live, live. I watched it afterwards. And the first thing that jumped out of the screen to me was we looked tired, ponderous and slower than we have had at any time this season. Even in the poor first half performances, they've been poor, but we've had a level of pizzazz about us. I haven't noticed. We may have given up chances. But we've had a level of pace and a level of intensity. In it. But I felt, especially in the first half, we were very slow in everything we did. We weren't as instant. 
And, you know, the goal is a classic example of not doing things quickly, not passing appropriately with the right messages on it. And, uh, and, and also, there were many occurrences when we were passing with too many messages on it. And so those passes could be cut out and read. And that all comes from that half a second dancing around the ball, not punching the pass as we, as we were early in the season. And, I, and I've got to be honest with you, I just thought we looked a little bit tired. And when you're a little bit tired and not sharp as you normally are mentally, what happens is you just hang on to your technique a little bit longer and the whole flow and progression then disappeared. And that's what leapt out of the screen to me. And, you know, it's one of those games when I actually thought, wow, we don't look very good. You know, it's yeah. the first time. It's probably, the, for me, it's the worst performance of the season um, that we managed to salvage something from. I didn't think Wolves were fantastic. I thought they were organised. But any team just paying another two out of ten more than what we did at the weekend, we, we would have taken them. So I'm quite disappointed in the overall game, shape, but... It happens, right? And we didn't lose, so that's the positive. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> I guess the positive is taking a point from a game where you were this poor, but I, I think the scary thing about being this poor is I see elements of this poor performance that have been sprinkled throughout this run. I mean, if you if you take chain, look, the results have probably been better to this point than I might have expected with a change of manager and the team that we have. Um, unfortunately, if you put the results aside just for one second, and I'm not trying to say that that's not the point of the football match. I realize the result is what matters, but there are performances like this sprinkled throughout, especially first halves. And I wonder, Paul, if if we're seeing, you know, I want to get to the individual performances in a moment, and certainly Shaka's errors and Kolasinac and Mustafi. There's a, there's a lot of players there that I think we have to ask, ask questions about. But let me ask you this. At this point in the season, we're into November. It takes a lot more than one season for a coach to really put their fingerprints on a team to imprint their their plan and their strategy. But I'm still struggling to see Emery's plan taking a clear hold in a way that suggests to me that we are going to be able to regularly show up and, and create problems for lower-class opposition. We've gotten away with it. We've had some good second halves. But we, we are, I believe, being outscored on XG for the season overall. And we're about mid-table there. We're making a lot of mistakes. This was one of those games where the, t- the opposition sat back, didn't really have much interest in playing the football. We couldn't solve that problem. And they looked dangerous every time they countered us. So, I mean, do you feel that, that this game is maybe just a continuing concern that whatever the strategy is, that it's not, it's not really taking shape yet? Uh. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I think teams that sit back like this um, don't really give uh, Emery's new um, paradigm a chance to shine because they kind of let us play the first ball out from the back. So there was no real opportunity to kind of develop uh, play with some trickery from the back. They kind of just let us have our half to play out of. Um and so you don't see much in that half of the field. I mean, Leno's looking very good in his distribution and his throws. Uh, he's very, very quick to get us started. But then if they've dropped off, it's kind of, so what? Uh, they've given us that half. And then they've sat back the other half, very compact, uh, very disciplined. So we're not going to get a chance to, given that we're not highly proactive on the front press, on the counter press, 
we are against the big teams, as it turns out, the big three maybe we've played so far. But other teams, we don't particularly do anything special in terms of pressing there or in the midfield. So it's kind of hard to see what's so special in this formula in it, against a team like Wolves. Uh, and the one thing I might digress a little bit or diverge a little bit from Clive on is I think Wolves were a particularly good example of the teams we've we've played so far. I think they were unusually compact and unusually effective. I don't think we should have them down as just one more team. I think they did a superb job um, to the point where they stifled our midfield, where Lacazette normally drops deep and has an impact and and can get that extra ball in or win a ball back. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't get a bloody thing from them down the middle and they left us the wings um, I think they did that better than almost any team has this year. And then, you know, they were looking to hit us on the counter. And unfortunately, we provided them that goal, that, that one blip from Chaka. Um, I agree we didn't move the ball very quickly, which is should be a, an Emery trademark of us uh, moving the ball. We look, did look a little sluggish. I thought the individual performances generally were mostly OK, uh, you know, Chaka's error aside and Kolasinac being shite and maybe he's been brought back a little too early because we didn't really have any other options. Um, outside of him, I think everybody else did okay. It's, it's not that anybody did an absolute stinker. I think they all actually played reasonably well. Uh, Will, Wolves were particularly good at nullifying us and we didn't come up with anything special. We didn't have a great moment from any individual player. A Chaka free kick. Uh, or whatever to get us to get us fired up and get us started. We were just kind of we started okay, but got stifled and moved backwards. So well, it was and, just and, a frustrating game. And let me say they this: were, I actually thought yeah. once we got the ball into the attacking third, we looked like we could potentially cause them problems. For me, the problem sure. is 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 happening further back. It's progressing the ball into the final third, final third entries. It, we're not getting the ball up the pitch with intention and urgency in a way where we can create attacks easily where we can where we can facilitate the those dangerous final third possessions and i realized look we had the lion's share of the ball more than the lion's share i think we completed 630 something passes i mean we had 70% of the possession 72% but a lot of that possession was in the midfield third or the defensive third, and we just seem to be slow to progress the ball up the pitch. And a lot of it winds up going through the fullbacks, and especially on the left-hand side, because Shaka gets the ball, he gives it to the left wing back, or to Ozil, who gives it you know, to Oba. And, and Aubameyang is, is not a good fit for that position. I mean, I, I love that player, but I'm really, really starting to be concerned that even with his seven goals, which is astonishing, he is holding us back at this point, that a Wobi on the left there and a Ramsey or Mkhitaryan on the right would have given us more access to the final third, more ability to carry the ball through the middle third and into the final third. We just don't have a lot of people that are dangerous on the ball at the moment. And so it's it's very easy to, to clog the passing lanes, to put numbers between, you know, between the ball and the final third and keep us out. And Clive... This is the problem, too. When you play smaller teams that are fine being resolute, fine sitting back, that don't want the ball, that don't want to give you opportunities to press them, give you opportunities to create transitions, then the one thing you can't do is concede first, right? I mean, the one good thing in this run, for the most part, not, not entirely, but for the most part, is when we played poorly, we haven't fallen behind, 
right? And I realize yeah. we did against Liverpool, but, but I mean, against these small teams, you fall behind and you give them something to hold on to. And then you push forward and you give them the chance to really counter into those spaces, and we saw that in the second half of this game. So to me, the first job, if you're going to be a little less dynamic in attack, is you can't concede first. You have to have a chance to score first, and once you score first against a small team, you know, you make your life a lot easier because they open up. So it's the errors by Granite Shack, it's the errors by Mustafi, it's the errors by Kolasinac that become a big, big problem. And 7 a.m. kickoff posted something on the ArsenalReview.com that I think is required reading, just talking about what a sloppy, error-prone team we are and why there is cause for concern here. And I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater, by the way. I realize it's a process, but I think we should at least... Focus on this. For example, 17 combined errors, penalties, and own goals conceded by Arsenal in the first 18 matches this season. To make that clear, quote, in league play alone, Arsenal have more errors this season than any other team in the top five European leagues. Okay? As a result, we've allowed 25 big chances. Okay? 25 big chances puts us 15th in the league in big chances allowed. And, and this is really the problem for me. You know, you, you praise Shaka rightly so for his performance against Liverpool, but he is too easily able to turn that focus and intensity off and make errors that, for me, are errors of concentration, not skill. Look, Shaka is not a quick-footed player. He's not a pacey player. He's, he's someone who can distribute long. He can pass the ball well, but he has physical limitations. What worries me are the mental limitations because he doesn't just let the ball go under his foot to start the attack that leads to the goal. He gets rinsed on the give-and-go. So... For you, someone who likes Shaka, and, and I like some skills of his, and who thinks he could potentially be a captain, I totally understand why you might say that, but mental lapses like this can't be tolerated in that position of the pitch. Is, is that really the issue for him, concentration? No, not really. He's so, just, um, so what, what, what is it that he, he, just, made uh, more er- he has made more so errors tell, than any let me player? Tell you what happened, yeah. Let me tell you what happened on that goal. Right? Bad so things. When you pass, <laughs> when you when you pass to somebody, right? you should normally go to what they call safe side, right? So Shaka's safe side is to his left side, furthest away from the player, right? Colosinic dances round it, d- delays his pass, and then passes it to his weak side, the side just nearer the player. Mm-hmm. Shaka's instinct is, well, you know I'm left-footed, mate. Pop it on there, and I can get it straight around the corner. If you pop it to my right side, you must have seen something behind me. Right? So I'm going to let it go. That was a gamble. It was This was not a miscontrol. He's thinking that pass has come to him, and he's, he's put it in there. So he, that, that can't be where he knows I don't want it there. I want on my left foot so I can move it first time. And at this level, that level of pass appreciation is natural. If you do that in training drills and you go to the wrong side, whistle goes, you get a rollicking. Right, so that's what happens in, in in the pattern play. That's not how it works. So that's a poor pass in the first place. Now you could say he should be aware of what's behind him. If he didn't hear a call, why is he letting it go? A square ball if it feels is is death by a thousand cuts. Right, you don't do that. So maybe he should have owned the ball, but he probably felt there was someone behind him, and they go inside, they pop round him. The pop round him bit. Come on, guys, we know what he is, and that we spoke we spoke extensively about having a defensive player around him to help him on the defensive side and he's used far more on the progression side and he has good defensive days so it's nothing new here right the mistake was on the pass and on on the appreciation of the pass and his appreciation of what the pass was actually meant for that's where we go now on a 
if you ask me about you know, concerns, I, I'm far more concerned about our left-back situation. Because since we've lost Monreal, we've lost a lot of rhythm in this team. And fullbacks are key. And, and Colosinic is a player that has no track record of really strong performances more than, than in his first month. He, he's a disaster, here. yes, I agree with that. I don't know uh, why we bought or we didn't buy him. We, we got him for free. Maybe that's why we got him. Yeah, and, and he's not working out. And I don't see a player with a strong mentality. I see a player that always wants to come off. He doesn't complete games. He's always struggling physically. He's good at doing what he likes to do, which is run forward and create. He's got he's got ballet feet for feet, and he's got a, he's got a bricklayer's body up upper half. He's a unique sort of player, right? But but I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's good enough for Arsenal. We've got a problem there. We've got a major problem. Now I think we can all agree that Shaka's good enough. Some people think he's better than than others, but I think he's he, he's more than good enough. And that's what the problem is. And I think what you have, what we're seeing here with the XG numbers, and what we're seeing is the underlying. The underlying says we are the fifth best team in the country. That's what the numbers say, and that's exactly where we are, and that's where we're projected to finish. Right. So, and what he has done with this run is actually exceeded expectations on a results perspective with our efficiency in the penalty area, and our efficiency and our improved efficiency in our penalty area, not to concede goals. But there comes a point in time when you start to see the limitations of the players that we have. When you are playing above your, above yourself and getting above yourself results, every now and again you come up against somebody that will expose your weaknesses. And I thought Wolves were quite smart. They they've recognised that Arsenal have improved off the ball. We are now creating transitions and we are now ripping teams apart. So what Wolves said was, we don't want the ball. Let's make. Let's watch Arsenal make mistakes and we will set our speedsters away on them and test their, their foot speed running backwards three days after a European game. I know there's lots of changes, but it's still relevant. And, and that's what's happening. People are now getting data on us and we're going to have to react to that. Now, your point about how we play and progression, what this has highlighted is when a team sits in, we start to recognise what we don't have. We don't have enough dribblers in the team, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's and so now you start to see how you build your squad. What's missing? We don't have, you know, we don't have enough left-footed dribbling power and running speed. We don't have it, right? So, and so, and that's what we need to add. We absolutely do need to add it. Whatever you say about Reese Nelson or the rest, we do not have that left-footed fly fast firing forward that can really dribble with the ball and cause problems so when we have a team that sits in we we still have a plan to go to we don't have that at the moment so we have to find other ways we're doing that with overlapping we're doing that with penetrative fullbacks but i thought this game was a real lesson teams are going to start watching us now and re-respecting us the teams are in the season just said it's Arsenal. let's go and play them and they recognize that we don't mind that we can play better off the ball but now teams are going to sit in and we've got a challenge and players like Iwobi are going to be incredibly valuable and other players who maybe need the game, need a fight, need the opposition to fight them, maybe like Aubameyang does, they're going to find themselves potentially marginalised if teams do start to over-respect us and sit in. Yeah, and I mean, we saw that. Look, I, I, I will take issue, not take issue, that's the wrong way to say it. I have to disagree. I... I don't know that I believe Shaka is good enough 
for our ultimate ambitions. I think Shaka is a player with a lot of positive qualities. And look, the guy completed about 100 passes in a 90% clip on the day. I mean, it's not like all he did was concede a goal and screw up. I think he's limited. And I'm not convinced that he can get the errors out of his game. And, and I take your point. The ball was given to his wrong foot. You're right, and he left it. And he sh- he, he was not given the pass he should have been from Kolasinac. I still think... Does he have a lot of errors in his game? Well, I mean, he has committed the most errors of any player in the Premier League since he arrived. So... I don't really know what that means. I mean, the, I'm watching them. The most, the it, most, there was a big error statistically, in game, the most errors committed by any player in the Premier League since he arrived. That's you know, I mean, okay, you can take issue with that. Is that leading? Is that leading to goals? It's they are considered errors, and I think statistically, an error leads to a big chance or a goal or a penalty, something yeah. like that. So I, I, I look. That, I have yeah, to admit, yeah. I don't know the exact statistic. Okay, well, that's that's you know what. Considering he is our main point of reference to start our attacks, he's the player that every team would want to go and press because he's the one that progresses the ball more than anybody else. In a team that's possession-based, that statistic doesn't surprise me 1,000%. Well, I will say this. It did look to me... It does look to me that teams... And and even against Wolves, I think Wolves targeted him and Kolasinac because they recognized that they could be taken advantage of uh, in two different ways. I mean, look, yeah, Kolasinac routinely plays 75, 76%. He really targeted there. He just let the No, not there. Run. Not there. I mean, throughout the game, I mean, they put him under a little more pressure because Shaq okay, is a guy that if you give him— the game, I didn't— see- you know, the reason uh, I just don't think it's been a big factor in our season. I I agree he is targeted, and I agree— uh, we have struggled to play under pressure, but I don't think that's that wasn't our problem here in this game. It was it was the one mistake, which was catastrophic for the result. And outside of that, I thought he was okay. All right. I mean, look, we can agree to see it a little differently. I. It's not that I thought. You know, Granite Shaka has the ability to play a high volume of passes forward, breaking lines. I mean, he can do that. And if you give him space, he will pick. Long balls, he will pick forward passes, and he will pick them at a high velocity, a high volume throughout the game. I get that. I think his one-footedness, his slowness of movement, his maybe slowness of thought to read the game in front of him, those are all things that are a concern to me. I'm not saying he's a bad player. The question for me is, can a double pivot that he's in really reach the highest level of English football? And and I don't know. I watch Torreira, and Torreira does not have the progressive passing Shaka has, but I watch the way he reads the game, the quickness with which he moves the ball, the quickness of his feet, and I, I'd love to have something more akin to that alongside him. You know, maybe that's not what's needed. We'll find out. I mean, over time, we'll find out. But, Paul, I, I think... You know, the question for me then is, I totally agree with you about dribblers. I think that when you look at someone like Aneden Hazard mm-hmm. at Chelsea, when the team sits back... Beating a guy off the dribble forces them to reshuffle their their entire structure, and that creates openings. And we don't have anyone to prize those openings right now. And and one of the reasons for that is we've got a low-touch player like Aubameyang, who to me looks increasingly like an expensive Theo Walcott in this role. Um, I just thought that this was his poorest game for us since since he's arrived. And by the way, if you're new to listening to this podcast, you know I adore him. I think he should be our starting center forward. This is one of my favorite players. It pains me to say this, but... For you, was Aubameyang just clearly ill-fitted to the role he was given in this game? And is is it increasingly looking like time for the manager to just pick one or the other at, at center forward? Um, like, it's kind of, it's this gray zone at the moment where it's almost good enough. But I think in the end, the truth will out. Because this is not an optimum setup. 
And we do have a dribbler. It's a Wobie. The question is, is he good enough? He's good, but is he good enough? Is he a, a difference maker in a game like this? It turns out he wasn't. Um, Obama Yang, I thought, had one of his better first halves in terms of involvement, in terms of busyness. Uh, the breakdown did a good section on this. He was extremely quiet in the second half. But he didn't give Kolasinac any cover in the first half, despite being pretty busy. And uh, Everything's just a little bit off with it. Uh, I mean, on a good day, we got two goal scorers uh, through the center and up the left. But they're also our only goal scorers, it would seem. When you look at City's front five or six, they've probably got you know four or five healthy goal scorers in there. We've really only got two in the team now that Danny's gone. No matter what you say about his conversion rate, he actually clocks up goals as time goes on, whether it's bundling them in or just been the tallest guy in the box or something. He gets his goals, and now he's gone. And there we are. We've got our two goal scorers uh, on the field, nobody on the bench. And when 60 or 70 minutes comes by, there's no way to switch it up with fresh legs. They're both already on there. And I, I don't think this is sustainable for the long term. I don't know what the answer is because we don't have anybody else. Um, and if you take Aubameyang off, you're left with one goal scorer on the pitch. I mean, you yeah. go around City's team. They got, you know, we know who the players are. Sterling, Sané, <coughs> uh, Jesus, Aguero, um, uh, David Silva, Bernardo Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne, who's our Ozil, you could argue our Ozil equivalent, and Ozil scored a few, but it's not really his propensity to go after the goals. And so uh, I think it's quite the conundrum that both our goal scorers are playing, and one of them's, you know, Obama Yang's probably okay playing from the left when he's scoring goals, but in a game where he doesn't score any goals, he's got to be incredibly dissatisfied. He doesn't get his goal. And the game's not much fun for him, and it's not playing to his strengths. Yeah. So well, something's ahead, got to give with the front three. And I'd like to have seen Mkhitaryan, because maybe him and, and Bellerin could have had success down the right scene as they were coming down our left, and could have got Yang on the end of it coming into the center. But we needed to do something, and I think it was Mkhitaryan a lot earlier. We did an interesting tweak at halftime, which... I'm sure we'll get into yes, with the of midfield. Course, yeah. yeah, look, I, I, I feel for Emery. I want to be clear about this. I don't think Emery's system is working, and I don't think the way we build play is leveraging our best talent effectively enough right now, which is kind of an interesting complaint from a team that scored quite a few and whose problem comes from defensive errors. I understand that. But, you know, we've seen a lot of these sort of soporific first halves where the buildup just isn't working. But I feel for him because... Every really talented player in the whole fucking team is either an 8, 9, or 10. And you can't play 11, 8, 9s, and 10s. So he's got Aubameyang out of position, or he's got Ramsey out of we, position. We had to go at it in the second half. Well, we did try yeah. to. I know, yeah. We, 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 put, we played, you know, two up front. We played in a couple of 10s. But, I mean, you know, is Ramsey an undeniably talented player? Yes. The system doesn't allow for him. Is Ozil an undeniably talented player? Yes. Mm. He looks ill-fitted in the system. Is Aubameyang an undeniably talented player? Yes. But he's not a left wing. And, by the way, you know, talking about Aubameyang's contribution – he, he played 17 passes. I want to make sure I get the number right because I don't want to misquote a statistic because statistics should at least be accurate. So let's get this right. 19 completed passes in a game. Awobi completed 27 and a half. And he did it at 76% clip. That's one of your forwards who's supposed to be integral to build up. We built up a lot down the left. Kolasinach touched a lot. Shaka touched it a lot. Ozil touched it a lot. And there's Obama Yang playing 
19 completed passes in a whole game. Um, you know, I just think that short circuits your build up a little bit. And then, of course, he did get a big chance, which is the thing you say about him. You say for all of whatever you think of him, he can ghost into positions to score goals, and that's why he's got seven this season. So it was really disappointing for him to miss that. But, Clive, you're, you're chomping at the bit, so why don't you come back in? Yeah, well, it, it is what it is, right? We've got Urza and Iwobi. Are, they are high-touch players that go to the ball to create to move the ball. That's, they are attacking midfielders. And Aubameyang is a striker, forward, final touch player that starts from the left. He's not meant to be part of our build-up. He's meant to be a decoy in our build-up to pin people, to hold people to a spot so we can overload around them and get Colasini in. His job is to stand between the fullback and the centre-half side from the left-hand side. Do a bit of recovery, but also make sure you connect to Lacazette when you can and get in on the back stick when Bellerin crosses the ball and be active in the box, which he always is. So we have to accept that's what he is. He is a Theo Walcott upgrade. He can do a lot more from outside the box and he's and he sees things a bit more um, early and he's had more he's had more time at centre forward, so he's a lot more experienced. I, I sort of I have to sort of say this to me uh, when I see I hear people say the Emery system is not working. I can almost, I can barely keep myself quiet, right? Because in this game alone, we saw three different formations, right? So when people say the Emery system, what, what is that? What do they mean, right? We have to turn our minds away from a system and a formation and a way of playing, and just say that we are different off the ball. We have different components in centre midfield. We travel from back to front a lot more than we used to in certain games when teams come and press us, right? So what I like about this coach is he sees every game as a blank sheet of paper, right? He may have a base formation of a 4-2-3-1, but it can change really, really quickly. And if you, if you fancy it on the day, he can, go to, he can go another way based on inputs and data and how he wants to approach your position. I'm not expecting a system. What I am expecting are more rounded players, improved players to come in that allows him to answer more problems and questions being put to him on the pitch without having to make a raft of substitutions. That's what I expect to see happen. I know earlier you were focusing on Shaka a bit, and I understand that. It's no, it's no problem. But trust me, this team's got bigger issues than, than Granny Shaka. Oh, sure. No, right? so, I, I, I totally amen. concede that. Look, look let, me, let me just break in for one second to be clear. I do not think Granny Shaka is the biggest problem with Arsenal in the sense of players that are... are, are ill-fitted or a struggle to, to utilize yeah. successfully. I think the problem is that Granite Xhaka is playing one of, if not the most important positions on the pitch in the way we build play right now. So he's going to get um, a lot of attention for that. And the question is, can he be at the level regularly that a player of that responsibility needs to be? Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of anonymous performances yesterday, a lot of subpar performances, and I don't think Shaq is yeah. nearly alone in that. I just think given the way he plays and the way we play through him, there's a lot of dependency on him being at, at his best. Yeah, and he's a, I think he holds the record for the most continuous premiership appearances. He's in the low 60s now, I believe, which means he plays, he's played every game for the last couple of seasons nearly. Right. So, And so he's going to have high numbers, he's going to have high mistakes, everything's going to be high. And for me, he's a, he's a, he's a major player. But what this game really highlighted to me was there are players sometimes you need to step up when other players are inconsistent. You know, for what we're saying about um, Aubameyang, 
I think he's the league's top scorer or very close to it. He's definitely our top scorer. So he can produce. He didn't have a good day and I thought his finish was very lackadaisical. Lacazette's got his fair share of goals. We've had one sparkling performance from Ozil. I haven't seen much else since then. Um, and and I still believe, I know we had to get a lot of praise for our centre-backs. But my personal opinion is that if I was picking a team for our lives and picking a team to go to the next level, I don't think our centre-backs are good enough. I, I really don't. Um, I think we've got a problem at left-back. We could do two. And we've got one decent right-back. So... There are there are bigger issues than a 25-year-old Granite Shaka who plays every single game and and the week before with Torreira dominate the three-man Liverpool midfield, which is one of the second-best teams in the league, and I consider that to be a a proper team that got to a Champions League final last season, and that's where you judge people against the very very best. So I just think your everything you're saying is correct, Elliot, on this game, but I just think if you it, I just think there comes a point this game actually shows you where we need to improve. Yeah. It, it really shows you that where our transfers need to be and at least be a level of honesty about some of the players that we have that our coach is actually extracting a lot from, a lot more than I expected, to be honest. So I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a fair point philosophically, too, about how much tinkering, how much systemic change, how much you know structural change for each match is the right amount to be tactically um, astute and how much is too much when it comes to disrupting the team's ability to develop any kind of flow. I mean, this is another match where the manager made a halftime sub and changed the system. And so you start a match in a certain system with a certain setup, and you have to try to get in your rhythm and figure out how that system can uh, expose the opposition. And then at halftime, you change to a totally new system with a new group of players, and you have to start over trying to figure that out. And so, you know, it is it is definitely the case that under Arsene Wenger, we were calling for more tactics. Do tactics, Arson. And now we have a manager who is definitely doing tactics, responding to game situations. Um, and the question becomes, is he allowing the team to gel enough? And it's kind of ironic that we're kind of on the other side of the spectrum now with the questions that we're asking. And maybe that just makes me a money cunt, which I hear everybody shouting, yes, that's the case. Look, I am not crestfallen. I was really disappointed by this... By this um, performance obviously and result it's a hard way to go into an interlull it's it's especially tough with the rate at which you know other top five teams are picking up points thankfully Manchester United not really keeping pace so it's disappointing I think the thing that's disappointing to me right now is just we have a lot of pretty talented players who I'm not sure we have an idea of how to get the best out of and I'm not sure that you can get the best out of all of them. And I feel for Emery because Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, Ramsey, Ozil, Lacazette, uh, Aubameyang, when you list all those names, that's a lot of talent. You can't play all those players. And you certainly can't play all those players in a way that gets the most out of them. Let's do this. Let's take a break to learn about lingerie. Let's take a break to hear Scott's statistics, then come back, uh, talk about the second half, the change of system, who shined in the game, because I think there were some positives here that we can focus on, not the least of which is Leno, for better and worse. Um, and we can wrap up because we certainly don't need to moan about this for hours on end. So we will uh, we'll sex it up a little bit. We'll, we'll get, uh, get your romantic life sorted out. Talk to Scott and come back with more after this. Guys, this holiday season, how about giving your wife or girlfriend something totally different? Something romantic that celebrates the unique connection between you and her. I'm talking about a luxury gift service called Enclosed that delivers designer lingerie to your lady month after month. 
Enclosed is like a flower of the month or beer of the month, but instead of flowers, she gets surprised with ultra high-end lingerie. And this is seriously high-end stuff, the kind of quality that will really impress your lady. Enclosed was designed specifically to help guys find gifts for their wives. Enclosed is all about helping you make her happy. This fosters intimacy and closeness, and as someone who is married with a toddler, I can tell you this kind of thing is so important as a relationship grows over time. And Enclosed is effortless for you. Every month, Enclosed sends your wife or girlfriend a custom curated lingerie gift selected just for your lady, and they back the gift up with a 100% size guarantee so you never have to worry about fit. This is as easy and as satisfying as it gets. You can join more than 30,000 couples that love Enclosed, and I'll give you a little gift. Right now, you can get $35 off your Enclosed gift. Just go to EnclosedLingerie.com. That's EnclosedLingerie.com. Enter the code ARSENAL. Can't forget that one. Enter the code ARSENAL at checkout and get $35 off any Enclosed gift. Why not give your wife or girlfriend something that really reflects and deepens the connection between the two of you? Something that you would never give your mother. That's EnclosedLingerie.com with the code ARSENAL for $35 off the best gift ever. Do it now. Okay, as promised, we now have Scott with us. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can read him doing the By the Numbers column for Ars Blog, uh, as well as writing for The Short Fuse and many other places. In other words, he's just an exceptionally talented and intelligent man, which is exactly what this podcast needs. Scott, I have been shitting on Arsenal this podcast. It's unacceptable. It's inexcusable. I will repent for it later and say many, many Hail Marys. But now that we have the statistics, you can tell me how wrong I am to feel down about this performance because the statistics show that it was a stormer, I am sure. So on XG with the statistics, how great was this Arsenal performance? You you didn't let me yeehaw. Oh, sorry. Scott's here. Hi, Scott. Yeah. All right. Good to have you. Now, how great was his performance? What did, what did the stats say? Uh, the stats said that it was bad, and Arsenal are bad, and that we should all feel bad for have spent two hours watching oh, that. Oh shit! There it goes. There. Well, sorry, listener. We can, we can't <laughs> fix this. Whatever. We, we can try turning it off and turning it back on again. Um, have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? What, what does the XG say overall? Uh, so I had Wolves at 2.7 and Arsenal at 1.22. Um, up until the you know, the last you know 15 minutes or so of the match, it was it was pretty even. Both teams were right about one, right under one, um, and then Wolves just absolutely tore Arsenal open there at the end and almost added to um, XG to their total. Um, you know this was probably one where where Leno. Saved at least a goal in this match, maybe even two. Um, it was just all sorts of bad for Arsenal's defense, and there was really nothing outside of the the one bombing chance where Arsenal created anything of note. So, uh, I mean, I guess the only question I would have then, though, is do you have some sympathy for the way the XG panned out only in the sense that a lot of Wolves' chances came at a stage in the game when we were con- committing a lot of resources to trying to get all three points? Yeah, and so this is where I think you can see score effects um, come into things. Uh, so Wolves scored early on one of their you know early chances that they did, um, and then from about the the twentieth minute on, they did absolutely nothing but defend. They were very good at it for most of that time. Arsenal could not break them down at all, um, but then Arsenal really started pushing forward, and it was just simple long balls over the top that absolutely killed Arsenal, or you know a Traore being a, a beast and absolutely running through things. That was the only thing that really kind of shook things up for us. 
Okay, so let's get into individual performances. Uh, I mean, there were some that I liked. Uh, I liked Ganduzi in the second half, but overall, I mean, did anyone pop off the charts for you as having had a decent day for Arsenal? Um, so surprisingly for me, um, Ozil came through, um, rated really well with the offensive value added. Um, I think uh, we're, we'll go ahead and cavit this in saying that um, Arsenal had a lot of the ball. Wolves sat really deep. They didn't really uh, do a lot of pressing in midfield. So Arsenal had a lot of final third possession, but couldn't do much more than that. So I think that a lot of Arsenal's uh, offensive value added is going to come from racking up the passing stats where they weren't really contested. So um, it's going to be a, an interesting one to look at statistically wise based on that. So Ozil had a, a good game here. He, I had him actually at a plus 0.74 um, overall. So um, what, what was he doing well that, that yields that? Just playing a lot of passes? Yeah, so his passing um, overall was really good. So um, he had 11 final third entries um, huh. of 13 attempts, uh, 23 of 27 in the final third passing. Um, his passing into the box was also um, not bad compared to um, you know other players. Um, he had five passes, five attempts into the bat into the box, completing four of them. So um, of the players that were on the pitch, he was one of the few that actually really kind of completed the passes that he was given. So he definitely did I, better than the players that weren't on the pitch. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, you know, they at least didn't have a chance to make a mistake. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, speaking of mistakes. Granite Shaka did have a mistake. I mean, it's it's tough to evaluate. I, I kind of killed him a little earlier in the podcast. He played almost 100 passes at 90%, you know, so so he's still the hub of everything we do in, in building play, but he had that killer error. I mean, um, do you have some sympathy for him? Because, you know, one, one mistake, and it's actually kind of two mistakes in one, summed up his day, or was his day on the whole not great? I mean, statistically, did he look better than maybe I'm giving him credit for? I, you know, it's a, it's a tough one to say um, if he was better than the one mistake. I mean, his overall um, offensive value was 0.38. Um, it's a lot of the same story that we always talk about. Really good positive, but still too much in the negative side. What are some um, of the things that count against him negative? So a lot of the times it's, it's his passes where he doesn't complete the ones that are in the midfield or the defensive third. So because he has so many of those, if they don't come off, they are going to count against him. So he was 22 of 23 in the defensive third and 46 of 51 in the midfield third. So just those couple passes, especially if they're central, those are dangerous ones to give up um, and to have, you know, an interception go there or have something that's a, a loose pass because it's so easy for the off or the other team to be able to break off of those balls that are misplayed. You know what? It's funny. You just crystallized something in my mind, too, about why you have to really understand qualitatively what the statistics are telling you quantitatively. Because if I play 90, 100 passes and 95 of them are accurate, and I'm a high-volume passer who completed 95% passes, you'd say, well, how can you say we sloppy with the ball? But if the five incompleted passes were all on the edge of my 18 and all short passes that I misplaced, I've actually had a terrible game. Um right? Because I've given it to the opposition on the edge of my own 18 five times, which you can't do. So, you know, you can be a high volume, high percentage passer, but it's where you miss your passes that can really determine whether you're helping or hurting your team. Exactly. So, yeah, if you're going to, you know, play a pass and it's right to the center circle and it's misplayed, that's a lot worse than, you know, one that goes out of play for a throw in. Yeah, and that's um, why he's someone like Kolasinac, who was terrible, you know, and completed 76% of his passes and, you know, played poorly. You could argue, 
when you misplace your passes out by the boundary and up the pitch a little, at, at least it doesn't immediately hurt you as much as someone who's right at the center of your midfield. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things when I was creating this stat that I wanted to try to get a little bit more information to be able to put um, a value on those kinds of misplays to be able to say that not all mispasses are the same. But speaking of Kolasinac, he was terrible, wasn't he? Yeah, this is something that is really kind of a a culmination of his time at Arsenal, um, where he's pretty good going forward, but absolutely atrocious um, defending. Um, And even in this game going forward, I I was not impressed with what he could do. Um, He really didn't seem to to add much. Um, He only, you know, attempted one cross or attempted two crosses, completed one. It was, you know, zero dribbles, zero chances created, really just absolutely did nothing on his calling card of being an offensive minded player, more of a a wing back um, over a fullback kind of a thing. Uh, And then looking at the defensive side, uh, was over four on aerial duels, was dribbled past once. Um, You know, one of the things that I actually really did notice is that Wolves really did seem to single out him and Aubameyang on the right hand side as Arsenal's wing point, with 55% of their attacks coming down the right. They are um, a right-handed-sided biased team, but even this was a lot more than what they were before, um, where it was 42% of their attacks go down the right. So it was something that they saw probably in the the game film and they really took advantage of. Yeah, well, and I mean that... That's a problem, right? Because if people understand that that's a weakness and they're able to exploit it, then it's something that we have to correct. And I think, you know, another big problem in this game is just that once we fell behind, we were pushing so much up to to try to get back in the game and then ultimately try to win the game that we were left even more exposed. But in an effort to try to win the game, you know, we went to two up front in the second half. I don't know that it necessarily worked, but I'm not sure either striker or you know sort of striker depending on how you see Aubameyang played particularly well let's let's discuss those two briefly for me this was Aubameyang's worst match as an Arsenal player I thought he was poor in build up looking really lost in that left wing position and then obviously missed the big chance so statistically does this game look as anonymous from him as it did uh to me yeah so almost all of his value um in this game came from his shot so you had um, a 0.21 offensive value added, and the shot was worth um, 0.2. So everything outside of his one big chance was basically a zero, um, which is not surprising. Uh, Lacazette, even in this game, you know, we, we've talked about him being, you know, having a little bit more of a well-rounded game. And in this one, he was a, a 0.06 in the offensive value added. Um, his passing was a, a negative overall um, he was, you know, a little bit better in being able to move with the ball at his feet. Um, but even then it was, you know, 0.03 and then he had 0.03 with his shooting. So overall it was just not a good game from either of our, you know, two most expensive players ever. Yeah. Do you start to worry about Lacazette's form at the moment? I mean, statistically he's, I think he's fallen off quite a bit. How are you feeling about that? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I, I know I've been beating this drum over and over again, but I think Obama Yang is the guy that would be... I think you really can only play one of them um, in the team at a time. I don't think it works, at least from a, a, you know, a plan A perspective. So I think you almost have to pick one as the striker because especially in a match like this where Obama Yang just didn't do anything defensively to protect Kol- Kolasinac, um, and especially he's not very good defending, I think you need somebody there who can at least put in a decent job you know it doesn't have to be a defensive specialist but you know an Alex Awobi on the left 
protecting the left back is going to be a lot better than Aubameyang trying to protect the left back. Um, and I think you're going to get more creative um, actions out of somebody else on that left wing over Aubameyang. And then it's, you know, a choice between which person do you want as striker between Lacazette and Aubameyang. And right now I think that Aubameyang is probably the better choice. Yeah. And I mean, even if I were going to suggest that it, it's that he stick with Lacazette, I, I do agree with you completely that it really appears like it needs to be one of the two of them. I love it when they get closer to each other and can, you know, be involved with one another's movement and, you know, on the edge of the box, exchanging passes and stuff. It just isn't happening for them right now. And I, I do think Aubameyang owns some responsibility for that because, you know, he, I thought this was the first game where maybe his head dropped a little bit. I mean, I know that gets into sort of the psychological stuff. You can't, you know, you don't want to get too much into reading into it. But to me, I saw the first signs of sort of frustration with the role he's being asked to play. Maybe I'm reading that, reading something into that that wasn't there. Um, one player I do want to just touch on quickly is is Ganduzi. I thought he was the best player on the pitch the second half for us, but I'm not sure that that would have been picked up by any of the data. And if I'm just sort of wish casting that, did you see it as a good half performance? Yeah, I thought um, he wasn't bad. I, I really don't think so. I mean, so he played 45 minutes and he came on and he had an offensive value added of .09. Um, so overall in the day that that would be, a, you know, a point two, you know, you know, if you figure for a full 90 minutes. So that would be a very good game. Um, his passing was, a, a, again, a little bit loose. Um, you know, maybe maybe he was trying a little bit too hard um, in this. So it's a, a tough one to, to get an eye on uh, to figure out what what exactly went on for him. Um, but he was moving the ball well. He, he adds that little bit of impetus that isn't always there with uh, the rest of the team so to me it's a important thing to have and i really liked seeing him do that okay so as we head into the inner lull now always a good time to take stock just looking at sort of the xg table we know where we are in the actual table which is all that matters but as far as you know what we talked for the last few weeks about regression is regression coming and maybe against palace and against wolves we saw a little bit of that regression that we were worried about during the winning run when the performances weren't necessarily indicative of the results. So where are we now in the table? Not the actual table, but the XG table. Uh, so right now, Arsenal are sitting right in the middle in 10th place. So I have them as a XG differential of 0.33. Um, so they are right between Everton and Manchester United. I mean, it's ironic because if you told me we were between Everton and Manchester United before the season, I'd say, okay, we're probably in fifth. You know, but Everton and Manchester United are not in those positions right now, so it's it's a little t- difficult. I I think. Would you say? Oh, it's, just a, yeah. Just the caveat: this this is the the non penalty xG difference. Mm-hmm. So with the penalties, Arsenal would actually be negative. Would would be negative with penalties? Yes. For the season. Yeah, for the season, because they have yeah two penalties against and no penalties for. Yeah, not ideal. I mean, let's put it this way: Would you say? you'll absolutely take our current position given the performances and that it's it's a positive that we are where we are having maybe not clicked the way we would have hoped yet exactly the the alternative is to play well and be in a bad position which i would not take i mean you want the points because you know you don't have to give the points back just because you played poorly so given the choice i would take the points but um, I really like the performances to match the the points that Arsenal have been able to accumulate. You'll always take good outcome, but you'd prefer that it come with good process eventually because that's more durable, right? 
Exactly. So, I mean, Arsenal have kind of gone from playing poorly, getting three points to playing poorly, getting one point. So I'm worried the next phase is playing poorly, getting zero points. Well, to be fair, on the bright side, we still have not lost a game in a long, long, long time. And not losing is a good thing. So long may that continue. And long may we continue to speak to Scott on the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Two more weeks without a loss. Two more weeks without a loss is correct, but not for this podcast. This podcast can always take an L, and we will take several of them in our next section with uh, Clive and Paul coming up right after this. Okay, we're back. Uh, Scott, giving us the statistics you needed to really um, contextualize the performance, but I think that there's some tidbits here that we can dive into that are interesting. And Paul, the first one is just the halftime change. Um, I don't know that I think Awobi works great on the right, but I also don't know that taking him off made sense in the context of the the problems we were having in the game and the scoreline. I found it a little confusing. So uh, what did you think of the change and the system he switched to? Um, so I think it worked for about 10 minutes. We certainly, maybe it was just the energy after halftime. It seemed like, uh, Chaka was sitting back a little bit. It was interesting. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting to Clive's point. I mean, it is enjoyable to see us try different things and very different things and not leaving it to the last 20 minutes where it's just helter skelter, though we did some of that too in this game. Um, so here we had a controlled, uh, change in tactics at halftime and if you ignored the result and the consequences of it it was uh, intellectually interesting to see what we did and how we played with Chaka sitting back a little bit with Ganduzi and um, Torreira pushing forward it was interesting to see Torreira as more of an, an attacking midfielder and see what he could do in terms of and making things happen uh, through balls and getting other people going. So that was kind of fun for me. Um, Ganduzi was given a bit more cover to our left back, which was desperately needed, and, and freeing Aubameyang to be more attacking in the second half, which was strange because he had a lot less touches and a lot less involvement, unfortunately. You would have thought that would have got him on the shoulder of the last defender, but they were so compact and so deep, there was just no space for him to run into. And so, as you say, um, while it might have been a promising concept, it meant we went into the second half with them sitting deep, no need to come at us except on the counter. us getting even more of the share of possession because we had three midfielders, but nobody to dribble and nobody to get in behind. We didn't have it on the right and we didn't have it on the left. No dribblers, nobody to get in behind. Um, And after high energy first 10 or so minutes, we kind of uh, got into a stalemate with them and it needed the next tactical change to come on a little later. Yeah, I think the the big problem, again, is you know when you make a change at halftime like that that's so substantial, not just the swap of player, but the swap of system, then you have the problem of needing to give it time to see if it works, you know, if it can yield the results yeah. you want. And so you can't make that 60-minute swap. You know what I mean? You can't, yeah. you can't go to a new system and 15 minutes later change it again. 
Yeah, you have to give yeah. it some time. And so that's why I think his other subs came on later. Um, Clive, I want to talk about Lacazette just quickly because my my feeling is that his form has started to dip. Um, you know, and to be fair, you're not going to knock everything you touch into goal every time. But I'm not sure that the the contribution, the buildup, or the end product is really there at the moment. And I'm just curious to get your sense of whether you agree that, that this game was sort of a, a disappointing outing from him and if maybe you'd be looking to get him some rest for a little bit to, to try Aubameyang up front or if you're perfectly content with what he's doing. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not really content with, with either of them at the moment, but it's just, we, we came back to a Danny Welbeck problem, isn't it? I mean... There was occasions when Welbeck would start a game and you'd say, that's a bit surprising. But then Young would come back in or Lagazette would come back in and they would be fresh. I just felt they're a little bit a little bit tired at the moment. They're not quite as sharp. That combination of chemistry that we saw in the season is not quite there. Uh, I really do think when Young got took off the other day and he was a bit upset, uh, I'm, I'm watching that one closely, Elliot, I've got to be honest with you, to see if he's really upset and is now a little bit more concerned about where he fits in the pecking order. I think I, I'm not against, um, and I'm going back on the system a little bit slightly, but I'm not against changes in the system because that means the manager's got people watching the game and he understands the game and he's fixing what he sees is broken and he's reacting to it rather than waiting until we go you know, 2 nil down to, to react to it. I, I quite like that and as a, that to me suits how I like to see football. Um, on, again, like a, I'm really concerned about the, the depth in our squad at the moment in certain areas. I think we've got a problem attacking-wise and we're starting to see we've got two me of the same type so we can't change things up. And, you know, uh, it's just one player losing Danny Welbeck, but he was such an important player to allowing us to lay down power and speed for the entire 90 minutes. So when Lacazette or Aubameyang is a little bit off after minute 60... It's no problem. We just bring on Danny Welbeck, and he just bring, and he just brings on more speed, and he just makes sure that the energy and intensity is kept at a high level, or we keep them all on. And I think we're going to really miss him, and I just don't know how we're going to replace him. And what this has, it has an effect on both Lacazette and Aubameyang, and, and their freshness. And I, um, I was disappointed to see Lacazette get called up to the French squad because I was hoping he'd get a little <laughs> bit of a rest. Yeah, I, um, I shouldn't be saying that, right? Cause all fair play to him, but. I was actually thinking, great, get a bit of a rest in national break. We've got a few people that don't quite make it into the squad. But now our form's improving. A few of them are getting pulled into the squad. So that's a little bit of a shame. But I'm a little bit concerned about the squad depth. And I think January is important and what we do, how we react. Because I just feel, you know, to rely on Eddie to back these guys up, I think it's a problem. Eddie's a, a, a promising kid. And that's what he is, he's a kid. and But he's the next off the rank, right? So... And Plus, they haven't given him any bridging games to get there. I mean, even if no, he that's were the capable. Yeah, I mean, I, he, yeah. he's been frozen out of the Europa League and Carabao Cup squads hasn't mostly. Had a so, minute. so you can't now suddenly yeah. throw him in the deep end of the Premier League. And, you know, I, I think the problem for Lacazette is just that he is sort of a nine and a half in the way he plays for us. And the linking play isn't really coming off for him right now. Maybe some of that is Aubameyang's just not getting close enough to him. You know, I mean, there have been games when they've both played and they've gotten kind of close to each other and you've seen the relationship on the pitch and there were some moments in the final third in this game where he was trying to flick it on to Aubameyang and Aubameyang was trying to, you know, lay the ball off to him and then they were playing dummies to each other and none of it really came off. And some days 
it just doesn't happen for you. You know, those little flicks and tricks come off some days and some days they don't. But I think if you can't get the two of them close together, then I think you have to just make them rotational options for one another and ride the hot hand, so to speak. I feel for Emery, again, I keep saying this, but why did we buy Aubameyang? Why didn't we sell Ramsey? You know, you look at the squad and you say, no matter how much I love Aubameyang, no matter how much I love Ramsey, and I, he's been a player that I did like, if those guys, you know, if Ova hadn't been bought, if Ramsey had been sold, if that money had been invested in true, young, talented, wide players and one more really dynamic box-to-box midfielder, I mean, how much different could we look and feel in that situation? And so he's been handed a team full of 30-year-olds that really cries out to win now, that's terribly imbalanced. And so he, he's got to try to find a way to balance building for the future with a squad that's not exactly built for the future. And that is... That is not easy, and and I have a lot of sympathy for that situation. He's got a lot of big egos because thirty year olds have those big egos and expect to play every game, and he's got to balance that too. Um, so that's tough, Paul. I think when the substitutions came later, they they unfortunately didn't really work. The one that is ironic is Mkhitaryan gets the goal, but also had another really really poor performance. And this is a player mm-hmm. I thought would be a really big player for us this season. I was actually really excited to see a front line that was maybe Lacazette. Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang, but he, for whatever the reason, does not seem to be able to, to get it going right now. I mean, goal aside, and I know, again, saying goal aside is a little silly, but I don't think he meant to score with that. Um, was this just another worrying uh, uh, effort from Mkhitaryan for you? I mean, I, get, I guess it was. Um, it seems like we're hammering everybody and everything. I didn't think we were... See, the thing is, I don't, don't think we were that terrible overall. I think they were particularly good. But but when you start to pick through it, it just sounds like you have an issue with everybody. Well, it actually sounds like you have an issue with everybody. Well, that's always it also good. sounds but, but like... Can, can yeah. I just say one thing about that, too? Look, yeah. I think a lot of it stems from going down early, being behind early, because, of course, they sat deeper, sure. and, of course, they played on the counter. And that that is a problem. When you, when you do that at home to a small team you know what those games get to be like but i just sure. thought the precision and execution of a lot of the players in this game was was below par below expectation and mkhitaryan was yeah. really sloppy he was so he, to your point i guess the problem is you picked another good example i thought you know i'm a, i'm a mkhitaryan fan so he comes on i'm like all right come on henrik Let's see what you can do. And the first thing he does is he loses the ball. And the second thing he does is lose the ball. And the third thing he does he is loses the ball. And pretty much the fourth thing he does is put in a perfect cross, which, as far as I'm concerned, is well worth a goal. Call it a fluke if you like, but he did exactly what you're supposed to do. It's a do. brilliant ball. Yep. It's a brilliant ball that is perfectly hit so that if everybody misses it, it's still right in the spot where it could either go in or... Uh, Lacazette can get his toe on it in the last moment and it's like a millimeter off fecking Obama Yang's head uh, who could have screwed everything up by connecting but if he'd got any touch on it it should have been in too so fuck it uh, um, absolutely perfect cross so one brilliant moment uh, outside of that he was kind of rubbish until that point um, but also he was playing from the left which is kind of strange because his success has been connecting with Bellerin on the right. So, uh, I, you know, as as Emery says, we're gathering information at the moment. I'm not sure everybody else feels the same way, that that's the phase we're in where, we're, where every game is data and input and information. 
obviously we're ready for things to start clicking. And they, the problem when they have clicked, as they did against Liverpool, is everybody thinks it's off to the races, two steps forward, no steps back. And this was two steps forward, two steps back. Um, so as as Clive cautioned, you know, we're, we're kind of at where we're at. He's got the players he's got. I fully support his view that, you know, we're trying different things and that's all good. We've all wanted some different tacticking, but um, he's also got to balance the fact that he does actually need results. The club needs results. He needs results. He needs results for buy-in. So uh, it's that very difficult balance of wanting to do the right things and move forward and, and develop a style and a character, etc., while needing to keep the results going. And this was a this could have been a great weekend had we got this result with Chelsea yeah. taking, kind of missing uh, a couple of points. Instead, we went and missed a couple of points too. So it, it's just the difficulty of the manager coming in, um, knowing everybody says you 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 need eighteen months, you need three, maybe four windows, and he's kind of had none or half a window. But he still gets to be judged on it, and we're at where we're at. He's got a lot of good players. He's got to find something that works for everybody more often. But. And that, that's the problem, is finding what works for everybody. And, and I, you know, I just keep returning to it. I, I think he's going to ultimately, what, if we wind up being frustrated this season and, and not getting into the top four, which may happen and it's not the end of the world, I mean, there's a lot of rebuilding to do here. I think it will be because we're never able to find a way to, fit this jigsaw together just right with the the caliber of talent we have all occupying similar positions. I will tell you what I'm not excited to see anymore is outswinging Granite Shaka corners from the left-hand side. We had 11 corner kicks. I don't think any of them were particularly good. Um, you know, that that is one disappointment because we'd seen some really good set pieces over the last couple of weeks and I thought this was a step back in terms of our corner kick routines. Clive, let, let's Let's spend some time praising some people. I, I think there were certainly some performances here that warranted. I thought Torreira was really, for the most part, pretty fantastic um, You know, for the things that he was asked to do. I thought uh, Leno was obviously spectacular making saves that kept the point safe. But I want to just talk about Ganduzi for a minute. Um, I thought in the second half during the period where he was on the pitch, he was our best player. I, I think yeah. he really drove us forward. Uh, he can step in up in the midfield with the ball at his feet. He's not scared to have the responsibility. You see him remonstrating with players when they get it wrong. You see that he has that big personality to want the ball and want to make a difference. I was really encouraged by this performance. I mean, do you feel similarly? Yeah, absolutely. And I have a saying, you, you can't stop talent. And this guy is, is so good that the manager used him to fix a problem. And, um, and then he went to a three in midfield and, yeah, if we're going to grow up to be a you know a proper adult team and play proper adult football, and I'd like to see us move to a more of a three in midfield and not so much pressure on two, but that's just a personal like. And I think these guys problem is he can't do it say, with Mesut Ozil. I mean that that's really the issue. Uh, well, let's have a discussion. <laughs> I, right? I'm and, open um, to it. I mean, you know, you find another place for him. Let's have a discussion. I mean, um, we tried the diamond this foot. We tried the diamond. It didn't quite happen. But the team screams, it screams diamond, doesn't it? If, to, if you really want to accommodate people and get your two strikers on the pitch at the same time. It does scream three in, one free, two up. That's what it says, right, with the talent that we have. 
and that allows us to progress the ball. Then we are very reliant on our number 10 being the special player of the day because he's the link. So if you want to stop that, you just put three people on him and suddenly we lose two forwards. Right, so it's um, it's very risky. And I think Guendouzi really is just just smashing his way through the, through the dressing room. He just is taking everybody apart and making people think, my goodness, can we leave this guy out? At the moment, he's 12th man. But if you're not careful, well, I'm saying, if some certain midfielder is not careful, he's going to take their role. Right? He's not far away. He really isn't far away. And um, and that's the way it should be. When someone arrives like that, what you got to do is you've got to rip the shirt off people's backs. And that's what he's doing. And he's forcing us to look at Mkhitaryan, look at Ozil. Many have already looked past Ramsey. Some people are starting to look at Shaka and wonder about what you're doing because you made a mistake, mate. So you're you're under the spotlight, and and he's forcing his way in. Right? So um, I can't speak high enough of him, and it's all in context, I know. But consider that he, he's probably only been to Emirates about 15 times in his life. Every away game he goes to is a new a new location for him, a new journey, a new ground. And he's just stepping onto the pitch and saying, I'm going to have it with you. And and this is what I'm going to do. Give me the ball. Let's get started. He's a, I think he's going to be a very special player for us. And um, by next season, he'll, he will not be on the bench in any which way or form. I mean, do you think that there's an argument for that too, if we're going to play 4-2-3-1 to be Ganduzi and Torreira? I mean, as much as you oh. like Shaka? I like Shaka. I, I do. Um, I like Guendouzi and I like Torreira, right? So three for two, absolutely great. That's what, exactly what we need. That's exactly what we can't do up front at the moment. We've got two for two. Yeah. And then that's a worry. I'm never worried about having one or two extra players. It's more when we don't have that depth and we're watching players fade and we can't change things up. That concerns me. So I never worry about picking 11. I like to have like three for two positions all over the pitch if I can and if they're good and we don't drop off then that's perfect so let me ask you something Clive and I have to let you know by the way Paul has had to drop off uh, for life slash work reasons so Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants and we thank him for putting up with me this long I assume he's dropped off because uh, this hasn't been as upbeat as he would prefer a podcast to be which to be fair it's not really been as upbeat as I would prefer a podcast to be um let me ask you this, actually, Clyde. Before I was going to ask you kind of a fun hypothetical, and I promise I, I will get to it, but I just want to ask you sort of a meta supporter question. You know, I was on Twitter doing what I do, which is kind of complaining a little bit. And you know, if that surprises anybody, I don't know why. I just kind of do that. That's kind of me. But um, it, the one encouraging thing you could say, or annoying thing, depending on your perspective, is nobody seems to have any patience right now for any critique or criticism of the team. It's sort of like get the fuck out with that. It's a process. Shut up. We'll be fine. Like it really does seem at this moment that everybody is very, very, very uh, committed to the idea of patience of, you know, long-term planning of staying behind Emory. And I think, I think that's a good thing. Now I think you should still be able to criticize performances, set up systems because that's part of the fun. Part of the fun is discussing this stuff. But I mean, do you agree that in general right now, it seems like the overall sort of zeitgeist in, in Arsenaldom is to want to be patient and want to give this time and to not really get too critical of the process? Yeah, I think there is. And it's, and it's all to do with the, the fact that for the last three years, we've, we've been, we've been totally divided as a fan group around the manager. And, and for some that have been more vociferous than others around removing Wenger from the club, 
there must be a piece of them saying, you know what, I don't want to be defined as someone that just continually moans about the majors. When the next major comes in, I'm going to try my harder to support him. And a lot of people, you know, people like to be right. You know, they like to be right about things. So they want Emery to succeed. So as a fan, they're doing their job to help create an atmosphere where he can succeed. I think the change in crowd behaviour is quite interesting. I mean, at the start of the season, I felt when I went to a game, I felt there was still the same old suspects being criticised heavily. And I thought it was, I thought it was quite unintelligent. I and I wish I'd gone to Liverpool game, and that's the game I really regret not going to because there seems to be a change in the crowd, much more supportive. And I think the club used that game, they targeted that game to really establish themselves and really make a mark on the league. Didn't quite get the win because we conceded early, but we walked away with a performance and confidence that said we are. We are here by right. We stumbled a bit since then. I think I do think the fallback injuries have really, really hurt us, hurt our fluidity. But the crowd are they're they're with this guy, and and I and I am too. I, I really am because I think he is focused on football matches, and I feel the club has lost its way when it comes to football. I think we were far more interested in being this contrary club that was defined in one man's image. And now we have a, a structure, a much more professional club structure, and we have a very professional coach that really targets the, the green grass and the football, and he's prepared to make tactical changes to achieve goals. I think fans can see it. The guy's trying. And where your, where your points were earlier, which I think were really well-founded, we have a team of quite experienced highly paid players that he has got to do something with he's got to motivate and get them moving get them running and try to get them to be more consistent that i do i cannot wait for january i don't want to wish my life away but i cannot wait for january i do believe it's going to be not a quiet january and i almost can't wait for the summer because when the summer comes i think we're going to see a lot more about what he likes as a player and where we're going and how we're going to reshape our, our wage bill and our, and our squad shape. And I think then, Elliot, when you say the words, the Emery system, I think it'll be, a, it'll be a valid comment because I think we can at least see Emery players by then. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, any system you want to implement, I mean, find me a coach who's going to take two really good nines and three really good tens and four really good eights and build a team with it. I mean, that... That's kind of what he's been tasked with, and I, I look he's done at Manchester, a great job, isn't he? I think he has, but I look at Manchester City and I look at Liverpool and I look at Chelsea and I see players like Sterling and Sane and uh, Mares and Mane and Salah yes. and Eden Hazard, and we don't have that. We don't have that initiator. We don't have that instigator, yeah. that player who can put a defender on a back foot and force them to react and create openings. Iwobi can do a little of it, but what's so funny is, to me, it is a flaw that a player as young and still in a developing process as Iwobi has become an absolutely instrumental part to what we want to do because he's the only player with the set of characteristics that he has in the entire squad. That can't be right. Yeah. It can't be right that you have players on three hundred and fifty grand a week and two hundred grand a week and one fifty and one eighty and two twenty, and none of them have that skill set. That that can't be right, and so. You know, I, I think that is a really, really big problem for the way the squad is constructed. 
Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And let's have a hindsight discussion now. The weekend, Iwobi came off. I didn't think you did anything wrong. Now, why couldn't so Iwobi can, go? Can I ask you a question just real quick on that point, and then you can expand mm-hmm. on that? But if egos had nothing to do with it, if status had nothing to do with it, do you think he would yeah. have taken off Aubameyang and moved Iwobi left and brought Mkhitaryan on right? Oh, what, you should, what I would have done, because don't forget, game state says we were 1-0 down. What I would have done, he was obviously trying to fix a problem. He was obviously trying to, you know, add some energy in the centre midfield because he was a bit concerned about our space on our on our left back. So he wanted to have a V in there and he wanted to try to create a little bit more stability. But then he, he kept us at the 10 and I know that he had a fantastic game recently. But in hindsight, I would have pushed Iwobi in there. I would have pushed Iwobi inside. I would have tried to travel through small spaces with dribbling speed and use his dribbling in compact areas to really make them back off. And again, it's a hindsight call. At the end of the game, you know, if Ozil puts one on someone's head and we win, then I wouldn't be saying that, right? So it's purely hindsight. But again, you talk about egos and status. No one thought that Ozil was coming off. And I, I don't want to... Um, I'm not pinpointing him, but... These are the days when your striker's a little bit flat that you hope that Ozil can come up and, and, and create a spark amongst them. It didn't quite happen. It wasn't just him. It was a collective thing where I felt we were a little bit little bit tired, a little bit lacking freshness. We weren't quite as fluid. And um, when that happens, you turn around and look at your big players and see what they do. And so Shaka, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Lacazette, Barrian. You've mentioned them all. And that's what we do as fans. We don't quite get the result that we want. We look at our big players and we give the younger players like Guendouzi or Torreira, we give them a break because they're new and they're fresh. And um, But what we're seeing here is just that we're starting to see the limits. And I'm really concerned about the Christmas period because there is no recovery time. There isn't the ability to add more uh, offensive power from the bench. And this is going to be a real test of Arsenal, not Emery's Arsenal, of Arsenal Football Club in the current squad construct that we have. And so we're going to need players to come out of the woodwork and really step up. People like Maitland-Niles, for example, I expect him to step up and really do something. We need Iwobi to continue his form and stay injury-free. We need more from Ozil. And we're going to probably have to play one striker to make sure the other striker can come in and add some freshness because no striker can play every minute of every game. So he's got a real challenge coming up in the month of December. And uh, we play Tottenham twice and Manchester United. So this is not the time to um, take a step back because maybe that patience will, will wear a little bit thinner. Yeah, and I hope not. I mean, this is the thing, right? I mean, I can complain about this performance because I think it warrants complaining about, but that doesn't mean I'm like jumping ship and think they're all horrible cunts who should be you know, who should be uh, sacked. I mean, it it is totally. I can hear, I can hear people shouting sixteen games on, on yeah. Beat, right? Yeah, yeah. I get and, it, um, and that's and that's where we are. And, I and suppose. what I would shout back, I guess, what I would shout back, right, is, and I've always, I'd like to think I've always been consistent about this. Bad process that yields good outcome is not, I mean, ultimately outcome is what matters most. So if you won the league with 38 bad performances, I'd take it. But long term, we know that bad process will eventually wind up yielding consistently bad outcomes. And so I'd like to see the process improve because I I believe in our ability to achieve good outcomes more when the process looks more convincing. Is that fair? I mean, I, that feels fair. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're on the path, right? So if you if you look at the look at our goalkeeper at the weekend, and you look at Torreira, and you look at Gwendozi, right now we're happy with all of them. Would you agree? So 
so they are three of the five signings we made in the summer and um and those three players are very young with huge upsides and they're they are growing as assets you look at iwobi another one that's growing growing in a in a fast rate or not right so you know, we've we stabilised with Bellerin. We, I think we found a a third centre back in the in the club in holding. I think he's defined himself as a as an Arsenal squad centre back, and some people say he's a first centre back. I I would like to see us up that position level significantly, and so holding would be the the third one off, and, and we go we go younger again behind him. But so we're starting to develop that player. And, and we've got a few things to do, and we need to be brave to do them. You know, the Ramsey situation seems to be resolving itself. Mkhitaryan's got some work to do. Is Aubameyang secure at Arsenal in this current system? I'm not so sure, right? Or does China await? We'll soon find out. But um, I hope not, because we've, we've got the player, we paid for the player, and, and I think he brings a lot to the club. But we're going to find out in the next year about who really constitutes an Arsenal player and who and who doesn't. Um, but if you're going to focus on recruitment, and um, you mentioned City and Liverpool earlier, let's just talk about their spend is significant. You know, we're talking north of 400 million each. I know they got some resales, and we've done, we've been terrible. But then you look at Gwendouzi, seven eight million, right? And I wouldn't swap I wouldn't swap him for any of the Liverpool midfielders, right? So. Um, and you look at Torreira, we wouldn't stop him for James Milner or Henderson, would we? And, uh, and they were well-sourced at a good price. If you are smart on recruitment, you can do a lot. We've been sloppy on recruitment, we've been sloppy at resales. So we've got some work to do. And so we are totally swim-dependent over the next year or so. And it's going to be interesting to watch. We've got an international break. We come back and we get into a really tricky period. I mean, Bournemouth away won't be easy, not to mention the Spurs and United games back-to-back after a trip to the middle of nowhere um if you if i if i had to say to you let me let me ask you it this way what is something you'd like to see us get right you know in the next couple games to feel good going into those spurs and united games i mean what what is the thing that you think emery most needs to get figured out for us to be a little more consistent a little more reliably producing the right process let alone outcome I think he. I think this break's come at a really good time. I really think the squad needs it, and um, it's a great time to reset. I think if I was him, I would be sitting down with a few of those thirty-year-olds, shall we say, and I would be demanding a bit more of them to have impact when it counts in those games that we're all looking forward to, but a little bit of trepidation about as well. And um, I'm afraid we need to find some depth in the squad. We need someone to get hot. You know, we need Eddie to get hot in one of these Europa League games for his confidence. And he needs to be able to come off the bench. And it, whether if it's in a wide position, but we need something there. We need, I think we need something for Maitland-Niles as well to potentially give Bellerin some some rest time at right back or come on as an impact wide player and really, really add some something so he's got to change his game slightly and add some more proactive energy to be the player that we all think he can be and this is the time for them to step up now they've had a great introduction to the team last year and we need them to come back and really do something now and be treated as a senior first team player right so so that's what i'm looking for i don't think emery can do much more than what he has done i think tactically he's been eight and an eight or nine out of ten he sees things he reacts to things he gets some 
I'm right, 80-90% of the time, as far as I'm concerned, the results are saying that as well. But in the end, I think he's hamstrung. I don't think the squad's right. I think you'd agree. Um, it's just not where he should be, but that's not his fault. And um, So we are we are back to our two forwards finding the spark because the two forwards scoring goals has made us ahead of where we should be and we should be focusing on those two guys. Let's get that spark back amongst you two. Let's get that going. And if we get that going, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, well said. I think it's a good place to wrap up. I think... There are things to be encouraged about. Ganduzi, Torreira, Leno, all good in this game. I think there are worries. Where does Aubameyang fit in? He's too talented to not be contributing. Uh, and you could say he's contributed with seven goals, but you know what I mean. And uh, The performances are maybe not, not there right now in this system. I would hope between now and sort of this really, really critical period that Emery makes a decision about who he wants to start at center forward and whichever guy he picks even though I don't think he's a consistent player and I'm not sure he's at the absolute top level yet, I think Iwobi has to just own that left wide forward position for now. If we're going to stick with the 4-2-3-1, I think we need him over there for all the reasons we've repeatedly indicated, which means it's Mkhitaryan or Ramsey probably on the right. Maybe try Mesut Ozil over there, although that's been a real problem for getting Bellerin involved. Um, but I, I, I think it has to be Iwobi on the left side of that front three. And hopefully we get Nacho Monreal back because Kolasinac is not an Arsenal player. So... You know, there, there's work to be done. I think we come into this interlull having to say we are reasonably satisfied with the point total we picked up to this point in the season, if not necessarily the consistency of performance. But, you know, in a, in a growing period, in a learning process, you'll take getting points while you're going through growing pains. And that's what we've done. So good for that. We've got a 250th episode coming up. We're going to have a very special episode hopefully planned for you for next week as our 250th. We'll sort of look back on the season so far with some special guests, and hopefully uh, all the regulars will be here as well. We have uh, Granite Shacka in the spotlight later this week. Interesting timing for that, coming off a, a stormer against Liverpool and then maybe a bit of a stinker against Wolves. So Granite Shacka in the spotlight over on Patreon. We'd be delighted if you would sign up for our Patreon. If you don't, we're still delighted to have you. We love you. Uh, we are sorry for the slightly down tone of this podcast. Um, certainly, I'm a huge contributor to that, but can only call it like I see it, friends. That's really all I can do. So in any event, we very much look forward to talking to you in the next podcast. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review and write nasty things about me. Write them about me because I know you're willing to do it. I know you're itching to do it, but give us a five-star review while you're doing it because the other guys deserve the five stars. Me, you know, write the nasty stuff. I get it. It's cool. In any event, uh, we love you. We will talk to you after... Actually, you know what? No, there's no game until we talk to you next. So we will just talk to you for our very special 250th gala episode featuring a galaxy of stars. That's all coming up next week. Talk to you next. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.